In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Gospel, Jesus says to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. And the essential contrast Jesus makes is between the outward appearance and the inward reality. People can be deceptive. They can pretend outwardly in appearance to be something that is different than they are inwardly, characteristically, as a manner of life. The concept of fruit is central in, in the Bible, and it will know them by their fruit because fruit is something that can't be pretended. Fruit is something, plays on the agricultural metaphor, to get fruit you have to plant something, you have to water it, you have to grow it. It takes time. It's, it's an organic process that, that results in something over time. You can't get fruit just by appearances. So we can put on a false front. We can pretend in a certain circumstance to be someone we're not, or we can pretend that we are a certain way that we're not, but there is a certain characteristic fruit that characterizes our life. There, there's a certain way we are, characteristically, and the more we look at our lives and the lives of others, the more we be able to distinguish between what people pretend to be in the surface and what they really are in the way they live and the way they act, and that's how we know them by their fruit. So, for example, a false prophet would be someone who came with the appearance of a Christian, looking good, neat, clean, talking about Jesus, talking about love. But if we examined his life over, say, extended stretches, 10 years, we'd find that where he is, there was characteristic discord, argumentation, division. So the fruit would be the evidence that what the appearance, uh, the appearance he gives us is false. We can connect this discussion with our epistle discussion of the flesh and the spirit, which are another central New Testament contrast. Flesh in the New Testament refers to our human nature, not our body per se. We are not we do not believe that our physical body is inherently bad. When the New Testament talks about our flesh, it refers to our disordered desires that cause us to do bad things in our body. And the Spirit is the Holy Spirit that has been planted within us in baptism. And so the contrast between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit is between a life governed by our natural fallen desires, life in the flesh, Versus life in the spirit is a life in which we try to follow the desires that are placed within us by God through his spirit. The false prophet pretends to be spiritual, but does not experience that inner reality of death to sin and new birth in the spirit. And he does not, this is not the pattern that characterizes his life so his life does not produce fruit over time. The epistle tells us that if we live after the flesh, we will die, but if we 
through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we will live. This is a central concept in the spiritual life. It's called the mortification of the flesh, which means literally to kill the flesh. What does this mean, mortification of the flesh? We can see mortification in our basic habit of confession. When we confess our sins, we get rid of them. We put them to death. And when God forgives us and and raises us to new life through forgiveness and his grace, we have died to sin. We have put sin to death. There are also preventative and disciplinary ways we mortify the flesh, such as fasting, when we abstain from something to to, uh, teach our appetites to behave in a way that obeys God so as to not be overcome by our false desires, we mortify the flesh. When we change our behavior, make willful decisions not to go into places that are for us occasions of sin, we mortify the flesh. And I think increasingly in our time, practices of silence and stillness are important in the mortification of the flesh. We live in a culture, a marketing culture, where there's all sorts of stimulus coming at us continually, designed precisely to stimulate the flesh into into wanting to be fulfilled by buying that thing. We have to disconnect from that and enter into stillness and silence to to put that to death and to give room for the spirit to, to grow. And that's the connection between mortification and horticulture is we might say that it's sort of like pulling out the weeds and cultivating the ground so it's soft and making the environment of our lives conducive so that the spirit that's implanted within us can grow. And then there are uh, positive things that we do to help ourselves grow, such as live a life of prayer, receive the sacrament, and connect with other Christians in the communion of the saints. The main thing we can focus on in this contrast between outward appearance and inward reality is that it takes real work in the life of prayer to produce fruit. If you are to mortify the flesh, you have to make room in your life for self-examination and confession. You have to step back and examine and decide, I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that. You have to be willing to change your behavior. And you have to be willing to to feed the plant, to devote time to prayer, to withdraw and practice silence. And this is where we can light on the characteristic message of the false prophet is he tells us that we can have this spiritual life without that effort. We can be satisfied with the appearance. And that's always our temptation in the Christian life, to be satisfied with the outward appearance while we lack the inner reality of the thing. That's... When we focus on that, that's what leads to falsehood even in churches, where we're content to pretend to be outwardly good Christians, even though we're you know, in our homes and everywhere else, all kinds of discord and argument because we're not inwardly being renewed by the Spirit. So 
the message, I think, of the gospel is that we cannot be content with that easy way. We have to be leery of those who present it to us as an appearance that isn't uh, consistent with the inward reality. We have to be not content with that easy way. We must be willing to do the work of prayer. This is why we talk about a life of prayer. Our foundational rule of life in our tradition, in the Book of Common Prayer, to be present for the Eucharist on Sunday and remember who we are in the body of Christ. To practice daily prayer, participate in the daily offices of morning and evening prayer. To order our lives, to reorient our lives around the Spirit. To practice personal prayer, conversation with God. What we also practice as part of the silence and stillness, contemplation. That when we practice this rule, we we, we do this work of prayer, and when that's combined with honesty about our lives and our motives, it leads us to good confessions. It leads us to the experience of forgiveness. It leads us to change, and it produces fruit. And that's a fundamental message, I would say, that we uh, set forth in our way of life and faith is that there isn't an easy way, but there's a real way. That grace and the presence of the Spirit in us is a real thing, but we must cultivate that life by a real commitment to the life of prayer practiced over time. And if we do that, we will discover, we'll wake up five years later and say, oh, I'm in a new place. If we live this life of prayer, if we're honest about our lives, we make good confessions, we do the work of reconciling with others, we take seriously what it says when we come to the altar. You do truly and earnest repent you of your sins. You're in love and charity with your neighbors. You intend to lead a new life. You reconcile with the people close to you. You, 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 you find you do something wrong. You, you, you confess it and, and try to be better. When you do this as a habit of life and do that for long stretches, you find the life of the Spirit begins to, to take root and grow. And gradually, like a plant in the ground, you might look at it you know, one week to another and say, nothing's happening here. If we look at it one year to another, you say, oh, I see a little bit of fruit, a little bit of bud. One thing we should say about this reality of life and the spirit is sometimes when it's really happening, it looks messy. And one of the big problems of the spiritual life is sometimes we like things to look neat in our attempt to make it look nice. We avoid the hard work that is necessary to have actual growth. I know when I've planted things in the garden, sometimes when I begin, you have to take all the roots out and turn over the soil, and you've got stuff everywhere. It's like a big old mess. But when you put that back together, you start to build something, start to grow. If you're always concerned to keep it neat and clean, you'll never pull those roots out. You'll never get the things out that are really a problem, and there'll never be real growth. But it'll look nicer. So often the evidence of the spiritual life, the reality of spiritual life, is there's a sort of turmoil and conflict. And that's the flesh versus the spirit. The encouragement we have in the Christian life is as we continue in that life of prayer, we begin to make progress and we experience progress. We don't cease the struggle, but we'll see a little bud, a little something be produced that lets us know 
that, that this life we're living is real and that we really are the children of God. We belong to God. And this gives us assurance and confidence that, uh, that we're involved in something real, that we're not pretending. As St. Paul tells us, including our epistle today, we have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear. We have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.